following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. to the book of Joel. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But we do believe in the privilege, the power, and the responsibility of prayer. So we do want to spend just a little bit of time reminding ourselves of some of the different prayer requests. And so just continue to uh, keep your mind on him, continue to be reaching out to him. It's a, uh, it's an amazing thing, if you think about prayer for just a moment, it is amazing that we are able to enter into the throne room of the creator of the universe. Think about that. We take prayer so for granted. We think, well, it's just a matter of asking for something. It's a matter of uh, airing our complaints. No, it's so much more than that. We have what Job desired, the entire book of Job. You ever notice that? The one thing he wanted was an audience with God. And we can have it at any moment. Yet we don't. We don't take advantage of it, do we? So keep our minds on the wonderful privilege that it is to be able to talk to God personally, one-on-one. Our current prayer requests are there being mentioned. Uh, Our church and our church family, the church leadership, uh, the missionaries that we support. We support over 40 different missionaries and mission works around the world. And this this is due to the love uh, and the nature of the people of our church who give tirelessly and uh, faithfully so that we can support the missionaries around the world. Uh, one of our uh, missionaries is going to be popping in. He's getting ready to head back. He's going to be with us tonight. He's not preaching or anything. We do have our communion service. He just wanted to pop in and uh, just say that he loved us as they're on their way. So uh, Joseph and Nelly Mercado will be stopping in uh, this evening. They have been trying to raise $30,000 to build a church. And they are 3,000 shy of it. Wouldn't it be wonderful? They're they're leaving. They're going home. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they were able to leave without that 3,000 looming? Pray that God will open up uh, the hearts. Um, Our nation... It's falling standards of morality. We need to be praying about that, not just sitting around complaining about it. Our government and our elected officials, whether you voted for them or not, they need your prayers. Okay? Um, Taking a stand in the workplace, the things going on in Ukraine, be praying about these things. And then for many different health health, uh, problems, you know, we've been praying diligently for Dr. Desai and and Sister Desai, is, she's home uh, taking care. And so, Doc, Sister Desai, we love you. We are praying for you. We want you to know that. Uh, Lynn Kay's sister, Brenda Shelby, and then uh, Miss Barb, uh, we want uh, you all to be praying for those. Um, and continue to pray for Sister Debbie's family over the passing of her mother. And, uh, and then be praying for my, my dad and, and our family over the passing of my grandmother. Uh, this past Friday morning, she went uh, went home to be with the Lord, kicking up gold dust. <laughs> Hope. Hope. If we didn't have it, we'd be miserable, wouldn't we? <laughs> it's good. It's good to have a God that loves us. 
and doesn't leave us without hope. Hmm. I've, I've done a lot of funerals in, in, in my time in ministry, and I'm sure Pastor can echo this, and there's many times that there's no idea. <laughs> there's no clue where the individual may be spending eternity, but we have hope. Hmm. And so we go to it. It's a celebration, isn't it? It's a celebration. Because you'd never lose someone if you know where they are. You only lose when you don't know. It's beautiful. Many times people ask you to do a funeral and they hand you a bag of rocks and ask you to make a monument. It's so nice when all you got to do is let them hear about the God who they loved and they served. Wonderful. Be praying for these families. Be praying for these uh, health needs. And be praying for the kids as they're uh, learning as well. We want them to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So let's spend just a little bit of time knocking on the door of heaven and asking God to move in our midst. And as I'm praying, would you be praying in your heart that God would remove any distraction from your mind anything that might keep you from hearing from him. And whatever, whatever he reveals to you this morning, commit yourself to obeying it, to pursuing it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and our merciful Savior, the King of our hearts, We come before you, Lord, because you and you alone are worthy to be worshipped. You and you alone can save. You and you alone can change. The only hope that we have in this world comes from you. We're so grateful that we know you. Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for the day that you saved me. And I'm so certain, Father, that those who are truly born again by the Spirit of God can echo that very sentiment. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Father, we know that there are some that do not know you. They've never initiated that response to your call on their heart. They've never yielded themselves to you. And so, Father, what we ask is that you would touch their heart this morning. That you would draw them ever close to you so that they can, they can see you clearly. And Father, as we get into your word here in a moment, that you would clarify anything that needs to be cleared up. And that you would touch hearts and lives. Father, we know that there are many things going on in our world and around our world. We think of what's taking place in Ukraine and the the people and how they're struggling there, the families. We pray, Father, for the families of, of all that are involved. God in heaven, we pray for those who are in leadership, that you would guide them to do what is right. We pray, Father, for our nation and for its, uh, its hurting Father, many in our country are just crying and in pain and agony. And Father, we we know, Lord, that the closer and closer we get to your return, we do realize that the worse and worse it's going to get. And so, Father, what we want, Lord, is to see you glorified through all of it. So we need you to help us to help us see how it is that we can bring you honor, to see how it is that we can bring you glory through every bit that is taking place. Father, that we would not be cold and aloof to the sufferings of our fellow man, but that we, as your Son did on earth, would simply minister. Father, I think of those of our number who are hurting physically. Father, they're struggling in the area of health. We know, Lord, that all things do work together for good, but sometimes it's difficult to see what that good may be in the midst of the storm. And so, Father, we're praying for healing, healing of the mind, healing of the body, healing of the soul and of the heart. 
And Father, we know, Lord, that your will and your outcome is greater. So, Father, in the areas that we struggle with, would you increase our faith to trust you to know what is best? Father, I think of those who have lost loved ones recently. And as I said before, Father, we never truly lose them when we know where they are. So remind us of that. Strengthen us in the inner man. And help us, Lord, as we approach the days ahead, that we would be ever vigilant, Lord, to give thanks for you and for the hope that we have. Father, we want these things to bring a spotlight on you, not on ourselves, not on our sufferings, but on you. Father, there's a lot of events that are coming up, a lot of things that are going to be taking place here soon at our, at our, in our church. I think of the Slingshot Clinic, and I think of the uh, upcoming fall conference. I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts. You would work in it in a way that we cannot ignore you any longer. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would now move me out of the way. God, you would not allow me to cause any confusion or any ill feelings. Father, I understand that the Word of God can offend, but please don't let me be offensive. Let it be a salve to the hurting one's heart. Let it be a a light to the one who's in darkness. So, Father, I'm asking that you would do what only your Holy Spirit can accomplish, and that's to change lives. Father, we'll be very careful to praise you for that. For it's in your Son's name we pray these things with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, stand with me, if you would, for the reading of the Word of God. We're here in the book of Joel, Joel chapter number 2, Joel chapter number 2. Look, at, look with me, if you would, starting in verse number 12. It says, Therefore also now. Saith the Lord, turn ye even unto me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck at the breasts, let the bridegroom come forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Thank you. You may be seated. You know, we, uh, we hear terms oftentimes in, uh, in messages in church. We hear things that we wonder... Um, what is it exactly that he is saying? What does he exactly mean by that? What does the word of God actually mean when he when when it says such and such? And and, and this is kind of one of those areas, this rending of the heart that I think sometimes is this way. Uh, we we heard it just before we sang the last song here just a moment ago from uh, Psalm fifty one, uh, the psalmist saying. Uh, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, contrite heart. And David is in this, he's saying, I, I understand that you don't, it's not the sacrifices that you're wanting, it's the heart in the situation. And this is what Joel is trying to convey at this moment as well. 
we see this, and the word that really kind of comes to, to mind as we look at this topic is the word humiliation. Humiliation. Now, sometimes we hear that and we think to ourselves, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, the dream that you have that uh, everybody jokes about that dream where you show up to work and you look down and you're just in your underwear, right? And you're walking through, maybe you're in tidy whities and you're just wondering, I don't even wear tidy whities where did these come from, right? And you're walking around and you're trying to figure out what's going on and, and everywhere you turn, right? Everywhere you turn, somebody's there. You think you can go down this hallway. Nope, there's the boss. You think you can go down this hallway. Nope, there's the secretary. You think you can go down this hallway. There's everybody, you know? And it's just one of the... That's not humiliation. That's embarrassment. That's embarrassment. And so there's, there are a few different ways to look at humiliation. Before we get to this one, I, I want to just kind of give you the idea and the understanding of how it is different. You see, when we're referring to humiliation, we're referring to being made low. To make low, and, and the, the definition of it is um, to make low or humble in position, feeling, or condition, to abase or to stoop. And so it's not so much a matter of the embarrassment that we feel as much as, as it is a placement we go to. And so uh, here I was at one point, and I have humbled and humiliated myself. It is a humiliating thing. It is all about bringing down oneself, and it's more in reference to what we do personally than what we have done to us. This is kind of the conveyance that I'm trying to get. From a psychological standpoint, it is an issue of human value, and the reason why embarrassment can lead to humiliation is because that embarrassment before man brings me down in their eyes. And that's what we end up with. And, and sometimes it's not a voluntary thing. You know, we, we come up and, and uh, there goes the pastor. He's getting really close to that edge again, right? And then one day he falls off the edge, right? And we, this is the embarrassment that leads to, well, I wasn't as sure on my feet as I thought I was, and I'm being brought down. So from that kind of a standpoint, it's sort of a human value idea of the public failure of one's claim uh, to a certain level. So let's look at it this way. Humiliation is the public recognition that one's claims to a certain level of ability or degree of status are actually false. This is the direction that I'm trying to get us to think for just a moment. This idea that I have a certain level of ability or I have a certain degree of status and I am brought low. You know, the, uh, you see the kids on the playground and sometimes, you know, you got the one boy that's a little too big for his britches and everybody always says, buddy, you need to bring yourself down before somebody else does, all right? You need to humble yourself or you're going to get humbled. And then eventually, you know, that bully that's on the playground, and he said, this is my swing, you need to get off of it. And some kid that's half his size goes, no. And he says, that's my swing, and I'm going to take you to lunch, buddy. And he says, no. And then next thing he does, what does he do? He tries to get a hold of him, thinking I'm twice the size you are. He gets a hold of him, only to realize that this child was raised in the home of some 58th degree black belt in kung fu. And the kid goes with his finger, and he down on the ground, right? Humiliation. <laughs> you have been brought low, right? And everybody's sitting there going, I'd, now, I'd watch that YouTube video 15 times, right? You see, that, that degree that he thought he had was made public that it wasn't actual. This is what I want us to think about in the idea of humiliation, not embarrassment, because I think sometimes we get that idea, well, I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be embarrassed. It's not about embarrassment. Nobody enjoys embarrassment. It's about, are you willing to take that level, to take that knowledge you think you have, to take that status you think you've attained, to take that ability that you think, and put it down for just a moment? Are you willing to do that? Everybody who is born again by the Spirit of God should be willing to say, I am not going to hold this. I am going to stoop. 
and allow myself to be made low. This is where we want to be. And we're going to take a look this morning at what's going on here in the book of Joel. And I want us to see this very closely. Because how often do people find themselves in the wrong, yet because of the pride they have, they are unwilling to admit it? This is where humiliation comes in. Humility, being humble. And we need to take a look. Uh, worse yet, there are times when we give this outward expression. Uh, have you ever had that before? Maybe it was one of those times where your mom says, you need to say you're sorry. And you walk up and you say, I'm sorry. And she says, say it like you mean it. And then you go the dramatic, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, like you mean it. What do you want me to do? Cut myself, lance, cut off my arm, hand it to you. What do you want me to do? Get it in the heart. This is what we want. In the heart. Genuine repentance. I find myself saying, as many parents do, I find myself repeating. Yeah, I moved that, didn't I? I find myself repeating what my parents told me. Sorry. No, you're not. If you were sorry, you wouldn't have done it again. Right? Yeah, you heard it too. So let's take a look at the call to humble. I want to look at that first, and then we're going to look at the call to humble or to humiliate, to humble ourselves. Then I want to look at the methods that are employed. And then we're going to look at the application to us today. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even unto me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Actually, continue down into verse 14 with me. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Joel, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, calls not for a demonstration, but for genuine repentance. Not for just an outward show, but something that takes place on the inside. The saying it like you mean it. Now, we have that um, sort of that... uh, Uh, outward expression that was very customary in the day. They would take and they would rip their clothes. And when they would rend their garments, they would go along. And and, uh, I I was looking into this, and and there's actually uh, 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 something I came across that was showing how people, even today, when they are showing that they are mourning in certain parts of the country, they will take and they will rip their sleeves. They won't take the sleeve completely off. They will just rip it so that the sleeve is just hanging on. I would try to do that as a demonstration, but I would probably be humiliated as everybody saw me pull and pull and pull and the threads held longer. And I would, everybody going, well, he's weak. So I'm not even going to try it. All right. Remember Hulk Hogan ripping those? Sorry. But this is sort of the picture that was given. And when people saw that torn garment, they saw that that uh, uh, maybe it was their jacket that was ripped, it was their pants that were just uh, torn. Today, that's the fashion, right? People spend $85 for a pair of jeans that have holes in them. We were out shopping the other day. I took my daughter shopping. This girl come walking out of the store, half a pair of pants on because the rest of it was just holes. I felt so sorry for that little girl. I thought, someone needs to buy that kid a pair of pants. Honey, come on in. I'll buy you a good pair <laughs> They actually pay for that stuff. But here, it was to be a show. It was letting people know, I am sorry for what I have done. People were so accustomed to, well, I guess I better put my, where was that shirt I tore last time? Yeah, I'm going to go put that on so everybody knows I'm sorry too. And He says, don't do it that way. Rend your heart. Don't put the outward show. You remember 9-11? Some of us are old enough to remember it. Never in my life would have thought that I would say that. I remember hearing my dad say things like, some of us are old enough to remember Kennedy. Some of us are old enough to remember walking on the moon. Some of us are old. Here I am now saying, some of us are old enough to remember 9-11. Some people are going, what are you talking about? Yeah. You remember the, the churches were full. 
outward shows without the inward. Before one takes this to mean that God was forbidding the outward signs, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't do the outward sign. He's saying do it here first, and here's why. To show the outward void of the inward is a mockery and an attempt at flattery, which is a lie. And he's, he would rather you mean it from the heart than to just go through the motions of what you're supposed to look like. This is similar to what Jesus said to the woman at the well when he says, said unto her, says, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers, true worshipers, will worship him in spirit and in truth. You mean it. It's not about going into church and throwing those hands up and letting everybody, I hope everybody sees how praising I am. That guy's not noticing. I'm going to slide over here where he can notice me praise the Lord a little bit better. No, 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 my friend. It's about truly meaning it. Let what happens on the inside come out as opposed to just slapping it on the outside and hoping eventually osmosis will kick in and it'll make it way to the inside. To show the outward void of the inward is sin. Sin. We need to understand that. We need to grasp that. Let me ask you this way. What are you not willing to give up? If, if you never had another dollar, would you still praise the Lord? If you never got that promotion, would you still praise the Lord? If that health issue that you are so, uh, you know what, I'm sick, and it's been a long time since I've been to, to church, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm sick because I haven't been to church, maybe. Or maybe you're sick because you don't wash your hands before you eat, I don't know. I, I need to go to church so that I can get healthy. But then that health problem gets worse, never gets better. Can you still praise the Lord? Let's make it a little more personal. What if the true you was exposed before man? Praising the Lord. And somebody says, why you got your hands up? I saw you. Why do you have your hands up? I, I know you. Well, you see that guy that's coming into church? I know what kind of guy he is. You're going to accept praise from him? Would you still praise the Lord? You see, it's got to get here first. What if you, the true you, was exposed? Can I let you in on something? It is. The true you, whether you realize it or not, is exposed because all are naked before God. And you may be worried about what brother so-and-so on the other side of the church or what sister such-and-such thinks of you, but can I let you in on something? It doesn't matter what they think about you because the God that created you is able to look down and see all things. And they may see the good actions. They may see the outward but he sees the inward, and you can throw your hands up and praise the Lord. You can drop a million dollars in the offering plate. You can make sure that that attention, uh, that, that, that attendance sheet is perfect, but I'm here to let you know something, brother. I'm here to let you know something, beloved. He sees the heart. Now, people like to use that. Remember David? And, and the same, God looks at the heart while other while man's looking at the outward appearance. And then people go down the idea of, well, don't you judge me. God looks at the heart. That's right. Be careful if we're going to use that. Well, I know I didn't. I know I don't, haven't been attending church. I know I haven't been reading my Bible. I know I flipped that guy off when I was driving down the road, but God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't you judge me. God looks at the heart. Yeah. 
And he knows when you roll over and hit that snooze button because you just didn't want to go to church. You can tell me, oh, I've just been sick. And don't judge me, preacher, because God looks at the heart. I ain't going to judge you. I'm just letting you know I missed you. But don't, don't forget that, yeah, he does look at the heart. That ought to make us not want to remind ourselves of it. This is what he's talking about. You know, so often we preachers are guilty of telling you what needs to be done, but we forget to equip you with the how. So that's what we find ourselves with right here. We find ourselves looking uh, at not only the call to humble, but Joel even gives them the recipe. Look with me, if you would, verse 15. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck at the breasts. Here's what he's saying. Get everybody. Call them all together. He goes through it bit by bit. He says, announce the upcoming meeting. This is what he's saying in verse 15, at the very beginning of verse 15. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. You remember we looked at this at the beginning of the chapter. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, verse 1. He's saying, alert the people that we're meeting. You remember the old days when churches had bells and people would go out and, and not everybody had a clock at home, right? And somebody would be out there, ding, 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 letting people know it's time for church, time for church. Everybody, let's go. This is the same idea. They were out there, they were blowing the trumpet. Let everybody know a solemn assembly is being called. Call the people to fast and prepare. In other words, he's saying, we're getting ready to have a solemn assembly. We're getting ready to gather together. You all need to be praying. You all need to be fasting. Get your hearts right to hear from God. When's the last time we took the moment to fast and pray about the upcoming meeting? I believe, with a lot of you, I've told you this before, I've told many of you, a lot of you know that on Sunday morning, I am sick as a dog. Sick as a dog. If I try to eat something, it'll come up. And I think God gave that to me. I asked him one day, I said, Lord, I don't ever want to forget the weight and gravity of this sacred desk and heralding out this sacred truth. And I believe he gave that to me. There's not a Sunday that comes along where I'm able to eat until after the service is well done. And I think that was a God-given fast. That one wasn't voluntary. I'll be honest with you. I wish I could eat. But I'm so thankful He announces the upcoming, he calls the people in preparation, then he makes it known that it's to be a sacred assembly. You see that? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. This was not to be just a bunch of people getting together just to get together. This was purposeful. These horns were known by all and not heard as a suggestion or, an, or, or, a, or a, a recommendation. Hey, we're meeting if you want to come. No, it's we're meeting. And you're expected to be there. When the horns blew, take the time. When you go home, write this down. Numbers chapter 10. Go home and read about the horns being blown. Everybody was expected to come out. Drop what you're doing. Let's go. Time to meet. He says, gather the assembly and consecrate them. In verse 16, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Everyone was expected to attend, all of them, from the oldest to the youngest. That's what he's saying. I think a lot of times people are like, well, I'm going to go to church, but there's nothing for the kids. Bible's open. That's for the kids too, you know. Word of God is... Not just for old people, it's for the young ones too. Consecrating here means this word for sanctify, you see that? 
Verse 16, sanctify the congregation. It's to consecrate, which means to set it apart for specific use, to dedicate it to holy purpose, devoted for sacred action. Brothers and sisters, can I help you in, help you help key you in on something here? When we come to church, it is not for anything other than sacred purposes. We come together to worship God, to to be changed by God, to have the Holy Spirit of God work in our hearts and our lives. This is why we come to church. If we're coming to church because we're just wanting to get our attendance record checked, if we're coming to church just because we want to uh, put our money in and maybe God's going to smile better at us, maybe he's going to do something in our life that we're trying to get him to do. We're coming with the wrong heart motivation. We need to understand that this is a sacred thing. This is a sacred environment. He says, call them together for a specific purpose. And then he even says to prioritize. Notice the last part of verse 16. Let the bridegroom come forth from his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Think about that for just a second, what he's saying. That little bride who has been so diligent in planning her wedding Put a pin in that, honey. Something more important needs to be heard. People are like, oh, come on. You got a problem with it, take it up with God. It's his book, not mine. I didn't write it. He says, let the bridegroom come out of her little room where she's getting ready. Let the bridegroom come out. Well, they're not supposed to see each other on the wedding day. Tough cookies. Something more important needs to be attended unto. In other words, set your priorities straight. So often, like I said, we're guilty of telling you what needs to be done, but we don't actually equip you with the how. Here's what Joel's doing. Here's what Joel's doing. What can we gain from this? That's the next part of this. What can we gain from this? Can I let you in on something that most of you probably already know? Our world is in bad shape. Uh, come on, let's just let's let's be honest. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you vote for, who you cheer for. Doesn't matter. Our world is a mess. And knowing that our world is a mess, we need to see how it is a mess. We need to see how it is in trouble. We need to see how our nation, Have you think about it for just a moment. The, the Bible lets us know as it was in the days of Noah, killing, root, looting and pillaging and, and trying to get everybody else uh, to do all these different things. And don't worry about that. We'll come back to it. Right, here's what I want us to understand. The world is in shambles. And today, more than ever, the family is under attack in malicious, vile, and evil ways. You know, I've I've said it before, I love hearing babies. I love hearing kids. The The thought that someone wants to kill that. I'll never understand. I'll never understand. I did not think for a moment we would ever see the nasty, vile response of people wanting to kill. Our world's a mess. Our families are under attack. People don't want the parents involved in their, the kids' education. People that don't want the, the fathers to know how to be dads, and they don't want mothers to know how to mom their kids. They want the, uh, the whole idea that, no, we need to bring all the kids over here. You parents are too stupid to know how to raise your children. Let us do it for you. Stop for a moment. They're trying to run a rift into the home. 
And then there are organizations set up with the desire to do away with nuclear family. We know this. We know that our nation is hurting this way. And it's time for us to rend our hearts and not just show it on the outside and slap a bumper sticker on. It's time for us to get right with the Lord. You want to know why a lot of the attack against the home is going on? It's because those of us who have seen the problem have remained silent to the problem. And it's time for us to wake up. When you are in a race, does it make much sense if here's some people in the Olympics and this guy shows up to the Olympics and he says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to win. I'm probably not going to come close to winning. I'm just here to have fun. Just kind of trotting alongside the other Olympians. No. That doesn't make sense. Why are you in a race if you're not running to win? Part of winning, though, is a devotion to consistent training. Let me, let me kind of give this whole humiliation thing. We're going to bring this completely full circle now. Go in, your, in the Bible, if you would, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start rounding third base and heading home here. Y'all can put your shoes on, wake up the person sitting next to you, please. Because this is, this is where things are getting good. All right. Luke chapter 22. I love the sound of Bible pages. Look with me, if you would, at uh, verse 31. Luke 22. Verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. You see that surety? Boy, he's real sure of himself there, isn't he? Don't worry about it, Lord. I'm your man. Look at Jesus' next statement. He says, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall crow this day before, uh, shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Okay. Peter's pretty sure of himself, right? He's up here. He's feeling like he's, he's attained this relationship and this status with Jesus. I'm never coming down off of this, Jesus. I am way up here with you. I'm your man. I'm right there beside you. You read the various different accounts of the gospel, and you see how Peter argues with Jesus. No, I'm not going to do that, no. And Jesus made a statement. He says, when you're converted, when you're converted, without getting into much detail, he's not talking about when you get saved. Because we'll find from other passages that he was saved before the moment that we're talking about later. Come back to that a different day. Put a pen on that. Let you chew on that for a little while. But here's Peter's surety of himself. Drop down to verse 39. It says, And he came out and went, and as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place... He said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not thy will, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared unto him, uh, uh, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he was coming, uh, he was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Catch that. Peter thinks he's got it covered, man. I'm your right-hand man, Jesus. I'm never going to deny you. You can always count on me. Jesus says, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And Peter, in his mind, says, I don't need to. He lays down, takes a nap instead. He says, I don't need that. 
I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm Jesus' buddy. I'm good to go. And he lays down and takes a nap. Continue with me here. Drop down to verse 54 if you would. If you were to continue to read this chapter in its fulfillment, you'd see where Judas comes along and deny, and betrays Jesus. Verse 54 says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and was set down uh, together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid behold, uh, beheld him as, a, as they sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, uh, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, saw, uh, another saw him and said, Thou art also, uh, art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And uh, about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know how smells can bring back memories? Here he is standing around fires. In other passages, it tells you that it was a fire of coals. Cabbage will forever remind me of my Hungarian grandmother. She was always cooking cabbage. You smell it, and my mind goes back to my mama. Can you imagine every time he smelled fire, charcoal, smoke from that moment on, being reminded of looking at the one he denied? Ouch. See what happened? I'm up here. I don't need to worry about the praying and everything. I'm down here now. Jump over with me, if you would, to John chapter 21 to see, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. John chapter 21, and John chapter, if you were to look, You'd see where Mary sees Jesus in John chapter 20. And leading up to this moment in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, if you were to read there, you'd find where uh, Peter runs to the, temp, uh, to, the, to the sepulcher. He gets to the place. He's the first one there, but he doesn't go in. Kind of timid now, isn't he? He's not so bold anymore, is he? He's a little timid. Then later on, he appears... Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples. Peter's probably just standing back in the back. Just keeping his mouth closed. He doesn't jump out and say, hey, Jesus. And then doubting Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas says, I won't believe it. And then Jesus appears again. And he says, here, put your hands in my palm. Feel the side. And there's Peter in the background. Boy, he got humiliated, didn't he? He was brought low. But I want you to notice what happens next. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples in the Sea of Tiberias. And it was on this wise he showed himself. Here's the story, in other words. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas and called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee. Uh, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples. And Cedar, uh, Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. He's thinking to himself, I'm worthless now. Imagine it. Jesus shows up and he talks to the doubter, but he hasn't addressed you yet. Peter's thinking to himself, I'm no longer usable by God, he doesn't want me anymore. He, I, I'm of no use. I'm worthless to him. I'm going fishing. At least I know how to cast a fishing net. I'm going there. 
<laughs> Look, uh, if you would, just drop down a few more verses to verse 15. It says, so when they, actually drop back a little bit further. I'm sorry, I, I skipped something. If you were to continue reading, you'd see the situation. They're fishing all night long. Verse 5, Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said, Casting it on the right side of the ship. They didn't know it was Jesus this time. And they did. And good old John says, That's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water. He can't get there fast enough. And he's running up. He can't wait to get there. And it says, look at, the, look at verse 9. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals. And Jesus was cooking right there on that fire of coals. And can you imagine? Here comes Peter running. And he gets right up to Jesus. And the smell of that smoke hits him. And he... I denied him. Three times. Here's where he was converted. Look with me, if you would, Jesus talking to him. Verse 15 says, so when they had dined, Jesus finally looks at Peter. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my sheep. He said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said a third time. It got to his heart. He said, you know all things. You know I love you. I believe with all my heart. Jesus took that memory, that smoky, awful, shameful memory and replaced it. No longer from that moment on, sitting around a campfire, is he going to remember the three denials? He's going to remember, do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Peter here, he's knowing Peter's mind, Jesus replaces that. And it took that being brought low for it to happen. So let's think about it for ourselves. Let's think about it for ourselves. How do we do this? How do we apply this personally? Well, we've got services here at the church. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Just hear me. We have times to get together and pray. We have times to get together and study the Word of God, times to get together and pray. And just like Peter, sometimes we think that we're okay. And I don't need all that. I'm doing pretty good. I don't need to go. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm safe. Don't do that. Don't sleep while Jesus is saying, Don't sleep in when he says, I want you to spend time in the word with me before your day starts. When we hit that snooze button, I don't need it. I'm doing okay. He says, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we say, well, yeah, some of these guys that are just learning, they, they need to be in there all the time, but I, I'm good. I don't need that. I'm okay. Don't do that. For example, and I'm not going to have any shame in this, for example, next week we're going to be focusing on the home. I've asked Pastor Green with what we just talked about. Our world is in, the, is in turmoil. 
focus on the home. So Sunday morning and Sunday night, he's going to be focusing on the home. Tuesday night, him and his wife are going to take the ladies and the men separate, and they're going to be focusing on the home. Wednesday night, he's going to be focusing on the home. Do you think it's important? He'd be here. Brides, come out. Bridegrooms, come out. Prioritize. If that means we need to reschedule some stuff, go for it. Go for it. Once you find a church body, you need to go all in. This is how we rend our hearts. The church is not just about what feels good for the day or what I need for that moment. It's about getting all in and getting becoming part of it. And then I begin to structure my life around what I can do, around the church. Now, don't misunderstand me before someone comes up and says, you need to commit your life to, to Christ before you commit it to the church. I agree, 1,000%. You need to make sure that you pursue Christ before you pursue the church. But God gave us the church for a reason. He gave us our brothers and sisters in Christ so that iron can sharpen iron. He gave us people around us who can teach us the word of God so that we can pray for one another, so that we can lift one another up. The godly fellowship, there are people who would much rather spend time with anybody else and they just go to church to check the box so they don't feel guilty the next week. We need to structure our life around the things of God, not try to fit the things of God into our busy schedules. And then we lead our families to make this a priority as well. Lead our families to make a priority of it as well. This is where Peter, I think, failed. And this is where many of our churches, our church families fail. I'm okay. I've attained a certain level. And I don't need that. And Joel is calling us this morning to rend our hearts, humble ourselves to say, (laughs) I need that. It's just like marital counseling. I was talking to somebody not too long ago. Marriage counseling is not for the ones who are about to file for divorce. Marriage counseling is about making bad marriages good and good marriages great. Don't wait for the last ditch effort and don't treat the word of God, the house of God, the prayers of God as a last ditch effort either. Listen, I need these messages before you ever will. And it's time for us as a body to bring ourselves low and admit our need of him. Father, help us, I pray, that we would not allow pride and arrogance to enter in and prevent us from growth. That the Lord in heaven, we would be given completely to the things of God. That we would give ourselves wholly to the, uh, to the word of God, to praying and communing with God to being in the house of God, growing closer to the Lord, making it a priority that we put everything else off to the side and focus on you. Help us, God, to make this the pattern of our lives, not just Sunday morning, but all week long. We would lead our homes this way, that we would guide our families to be completely given to you because you're the only one that deserves it. You're the only one worthy of that kind of attention and that kind of effort. No job place, no sporting event, no hobby, just you. Help us, we pray. It's in your son's name. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake. 
Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.